This presentation is from Service Design 2016, held in Melbourne in March. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. So I would like to introduce the folks from Heath Wallace and Rebecca Scott, um, and they're going to talk through a case study project that they worked on together. Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. It's freezing in here. I'm quite cold. I hope it's not just me. Um, so um, today we're going to talk about how all of us on stage uh, work together to deliver an innovative service design uh, project for social good. It's a bit of a case study. Um, Fiona's going to kick us off and tell us how it all began. Yeah, so... Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, our journey with um, Street and Beck started off actually with innovation at Heath Wallace. So um, what happened was we've got three offices globally, or three main offices globally, and a bit over 100 people, 150-ish people um, in our company. And um, our, our CEO came over from the UK, Dave Wallace, and um, said to us, hey, we'd really like you guys in Australia to um, take ownership of our in innovation in our organisation and come up with an innovation framework for us. Um, he said to us, be disruptive, back yourselves into a corner, evolve your skills and knowledge and set the scene for innovation for Heath Wallace. And I, we were sort of saying, well, um, you know, do you, do you have anything else you'd like to, you know, share with us? Do you have any parameters? And he said, I trust you guys implicitly. And um, off he went back to the UK and left us to create an innovation framework. So we had a lot of rope to hang ourselves and we had a lot of freedom to create something that we were, would be excited about and that we could share globally as well. So as part of that, we thought it was really important to um, have a definition of innovation. Um, I think there's so many different um, definitions around, it's really important that we at least had a common understanding of that um, in, inside our organisation. So our definition of innovation is it's a sustainable change to processes, products or services that measurably improves outcomes and leads to the re-evaluation of the status quo. So for us it's really important that we distinguish that from invention or doing things for you know, a bit of fun. It's really about making sure we have something that's measurable that makes a, a positive change. So as part of that, we came up with an innovation framework. And the idea is that within our organisation, we can actually come up with ideas and then we have a process by which we can actually filter through those ideas and decide which idea we should incubate on a yearly basis. So the ideas can be things as um, non-digital as an alkaline pill that might help people who are at risk of getting cancer to coming up with um, redesigning a service. So those ideas go up and we have a series of activities such as elevator pitches, um, Petra Kutches, which is where 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide, um, where people get to pitch their ideas and um, there's a lot of criteria that's required to actually work out do they meet our needs, um, do they fit our risk profile, those sorts of things. Um, and it's underpinned by making sure we have a lot of mentors that come in and help us. Um, and help us with our actual framework, creating the framework, but also helping in judging the ideas to make sure we pick something that's going to be valuable for us um, as an organisation and potentially does something positive outside of our organisation as well. So, as part of that... Um, um, yeah, well, I've got two microphones now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so um, we'll introduce Beck Scott now from, from Street and talk about how Street came and become involved with this project. Hi, I'm hoping some of you have had a coffee with Street before. If you haven't, please come and have one with us. Um, we started Street back in 2009, essentially to try and stop youth homelessness. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of young people in this country who um, are destined for long-term welfare. And what we were building was a, a hospitality enterprise to, to provide young people with support, but also with skills and then uh, a transition into open employment. And so essentially we're trying to build, we're building a portfolio of businesses. So we now run seven different hospitality businesses, including cafes, uh, an artisan bakery in a couple of months, uh, a coffee roastery and a catering company. And they're all the businesses where our young people work uh, every week. But what they also do is they, we sell you know, products from all of those different businesses to the general public. So we're, we're bringing in the general public to be part of the social change with us. So for 
for us, there's some really interesting and exciting opportunities, but there's also some real issues there. Um, that, that kind of what Andy said before about that kind of creepy line, you don't want to cross that creepy line and turn your organisation into a zoo. You know, you've got a whole bunch of young people in your care who, who need so much support and you're wanting the customer to know deeply about the social change that they're creating with every single purchase and every single coffee, but there's some lines there around, you know, dignified, you know, dignified um, stories, how you make sure you as a customer understand the good without, um, without making it weird and creepy for young people who, whose lives you're changing. Um, so we, as an organisation, I think we've been quite ripe for innovating right from the beginning. We started as one business model and have evolved enormously over um, the last seven years. But right from the outset, I think, because we were bringing together people who wouldn't normally work together, we were building a hybrid organisation that had hospitality people and um, social workers and psychologists and a whole bunch of interesting people who would have never normally sat in a room or worked together. Um, it meant we, we were often trying to solve problems that were deep and intractable but with lots of different heads around the table as part of that creative solution. Um, the other thing is too, right from the outset, we were we were thinking about service design and, and getting engaged with groups like the huddle guys down here that I saw. Um, so we were, we've always been really open to who do we bring on the journey with us to try and solve very, very big problems that are complex and, and multifaceted. So, um, so uh, Street actually um, came to us um, at around the time that we, we were doing this, uh, this innovation piece at Heath Wallace. Um, they needed help managing their digital channels. Um, they had a couple of opportunities, a new store um, sort of reconfiguration. Um, in speaking with Beck, we discovered that um, there was an opportunity to do a whole much more, a whole, whole big piece of work. So there was, a, there was an opportunity to do a big service design piece um, and, and to, to work strategically with them. So as part of the innovation strategy, um, we proposed a partnership with Street. We, um, we pledged to develop a service innovation strategy to help them ideate and evaluate service concepts. Uh, we pledged to create a roadmap of, of projects that could be delivered um, by um, any of, of Street's collaborators, um, ourselves and, and others. Um, we pledged to take on one of those projects on the roadmap and design, deliver it ourselves, and then finally uh, to forge a lasting relationship uh, with Street, a long-term relationship that would deliver benefit to, to both organizations. Um, and the idea got up. That's right. That's right. Fiona just said we 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 yeah we got through it. So um, in creating a service innovation strategy, we needed to understand Street's business model. Um, now, Street's food and coffee are exceptional. I can say that you know hand on heart. I'm not you know plugging anything. I love I love it. It's what keeps people coming coming back into the shops for. Um, Street doesn't force feed their social credentials um, on, onto, uh, onto their clientele. Their messaging is, is dignified and it's respectful of the young people that, um, that, that they're assisting. Um, the social good aspect of the business is an added perk to coming in and, and buying a cup of coffee, to having some food, to ordering some, some catering. It's not the, the, the main thing. So with this sensitivity in mind, our challenge was to find subtle yet compelling ways of making street customers um, more aware of their individual and collective power to tackle youth homelessness, I guess one coffee at a time. So, uh, so turning the, the, the casual or even the loyal customers into advocates for street's cause without going over the, the creepy line, I guess. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and, and no screens. Um, so we needed to find ways of taking advantage of all of the data that Street uh, collects. Um, there's transactional data, marketing data, uh, data from social programs, and to think of a, a digital intervention that could be integrated seamlessly into, uh, into Street's uh, service model. Um, but Street's cafes don't have screens in them, other than the, the one at the till that the, the baristas see. Um, uh, uh, screens would kind of ruin the tactile aesthetic of, of street cafes. I don't know how many of you have been into a street, uh, a, a street cafe, but, but if you have, you know what I mean. Everything is you know, sort of right there. There's chalkboards, there's you know, writing, writing on the walls, um, that sort of thing. 
So um, we also knew that Street's customers weren't keen to, um, to, to download yet another coffee app or another cafe app and look at it on their phones. They had too many of them. Um, there wasn't a real desire to, to do that. So our challenge was to find a way and collect all of that um, data, visualizing it in so some way, and reflect it back to customers um, without the use of a screen, um, which for a... Uh, uh, predominantly digital experience design agency was, you can imagine, a bit of a challenge. Um, so how do we tackle the challenge? Well, we needed a, a, a framework uh, or a project structure uh, that allowed us to, um, you know, to explore, to allow us to follow tangents, to allow us to, that allowed us to generate theories, um, while at the same time constrain us to some pretty tight um, uh, budget uh, and timeline uh, uh, constraints or, or, or limitations. So we chose the, the double diamond model. It was developed by the Design Council in the UK. You can see there's double diamonds. There's two diamonds there. Um, but basically, there's two sides of the diamond. There's, there's a, a space for a divergent thinking, for going out wide, for, for, um, for um, exploring and experimenting concepts. And then there's the other side, uh, a space for convergent thinking, where you're basically focusing in or narrowing in on discrete outcomes or, or uh, uh, hypotheses. Um, so it's great because it's a, it's, it's a model that you can map against a traditional sort of project, uh, you know, project plan, um, but it gives you a little bit of room to uh, daydream, I guess, um, which is what we needed to do. Um, we were also really, really keen to have a very close collab working collaboration with, with Street. Um, we were working in an industry that, and an environment that we had absolutely no idea about. So uh, we knew that as much as we tried, we weren't going to understand every single nuance of, of Street's business. So we designed in the open. Um, everything uh, that we did, um, we, we put out there and we, uh, we shared with, with Street as soon as we were, we were doing it. It meant, that, um, it meant that gaps in our own understanding were uncovered really quickly, um, and um, it helped sort of, you know, help us steer, steer the ship through, um, through, through all of the information that we were, that we were gathering. Um, we worked in the cafes as well um, quite a bit, um, which is great. So we got some of that tacit knowledge that... Um, that, uh, th that you get just by being in the environment. And we also set up a war room uh, uh, at street headquarters. So we took over three walls of, uh, of one of the rooms of, uh, in the, in the street, uh, street office and just filled it full of post-it notes and sketches and uh, uh, photos, quotes. Um, and that actually still remains to this, to this day. The, the, you know, the project's uh, finished, but that remains, and it's actually being used as an induc in induction um, yeah, sort I, of... Yeah, I just can't pull any of it down, because it's just like walking <laughs> into a 3D you know, um, visualization of our customers and, and what our customers yeah. believe about us. So, so making sure that every new staff member who comes on board just goes and spends time you know, in that room to, to deeply understand what we've now learned. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's messy. <laughs> Which is, but it's it's great in that sense because you really get um, you, you really get a sense of what uh, what's going on there. So, what are some of the activities and techniques that we used? Um, I'll just go through a couple of them. So, we did uh, heat mapping. This is one of the best days at work I think that I've had in a long time. Sitting in a cafe for an entire day um, and observing people coming in and out of the cafe, eating great food, <laughs> drinking delicious coffee. Um, um, what we did basically is we, we um, you know, we, we basically sketched out the, the well-worn paths from the from the, the entrance through to the, the, the till. We watched people uh, queuing, uh, we watched people uh, ordering, watched people waiting, and um, we tried to get a sense of what we were what they were doing uh, in all of those uh, in all of those different stages and, and modes. Um, one interesting thing that we discovered was that. Um, People are really keen to find a safe place to stare um, when you go into a when, when they go into a cafe. So when you're waiting for when you're waiting for something, um, you know when you're in your queue or something, you think about it yourself. You 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 get into a queue and you're you're not sure what to do. You're looking around. You don't want to meet anyone's eye. Um, 
So some people will quickly take their phones out of their, out of their pockets and bury themselves in that. Other people will look for magazines or newspapers. And yet other people will actually look on the walls and um, actually try and find things to read and, 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 and engage with. So um, through this process, we were actually uncovering opportunities to engage with, uh, with customers within the space, um, uh, within the cafe space. We also did um, some, uh, sh- some shadowing or some ride-alongs. Um, Kate Goodwin, a colleague of ours, um, spent a couple of days um, with the catering staff, um, watching how food was ordered, prepared, delivered, and, and picked up. Um, she also helped out a bit, I think, as well. Um, this gave us a helicopter view of streets, many services, and, uh, and a much better understanding of how all, all of those services fit together or, or didn't fit together. So, you know, again, uncovering opportunities to, um, to, to, to innovate, opportunities to improve. Um, now, this is all, if you can see down in the, the, the bottom left corner, this is all still in that first sort of divergent thinking section of the, of the, the double diamonds. So we were just gathering information, um, gathering information, Synthesizing it only very minimally, um, um, and and you know just sort of getting everything on the table. Um, we also did uh, collaborative design workshops. So um, we brought street staff together with uh, with customers, and the focus of the workshops was to rapidly iterate through concepts um, and ideas on ways of increasing customer engagement within the cafe. So staff and customers sitting at a table together, um, coming up with ideas, basically. Table, the table was filled with Lego, clay, uh, stationery, cardboard, scissors. You know, it was, it was actually it was quite, a, quite a bit of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we sort of sat back and observed and we... we uh, you know, saw whether uh, whether themes were emerging, whether there were certain um, you know really compelling concepts that came out of that, um, and then finally um, we did um, some enactments of those of those concepts. So um, talking about acting out, um, uh, and in, in Andy's uh, Andy's talk, um, this is this is exactly what we what we did. So we set up a street cafe environment within our own office with boxes and um, and. Uh, you know, posters and that sort of thing, and everyone in the office actually acted out different roles. We took a, a concept and considered a, a few scenarios around each concept, and we put it through its paces. Um, so, uh, for instance, uh, one of the one of the ideas was a, an NFC sort of keep cup concept, um, and we enacted a scenario where someone walks up to the till, there's a big queue behind them, someone walks up to the till and um, sees the keep cup and wants to find out more about how it works and, and, uh, and, and, and possibly buy one. And we realized very quickly that it's go- it was going to take a very, very long time for someone to explain how that would work. And I was the disgruntled customer of five people back in the queue. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, so it gave us an opportunity to, to work things out and to eliminate some of the ideas that, that, that weren't going to work, um, you know, that we, we felt were obviously not, not appropriate or not a good fit. So I hand over to Fiona now. So out of all of that, all of those activities, we looked at, as Miles said, a, a range of interventions uh, across different touch points, uh, across a num- numerous types of um, user journeys. Um, so whether it would be the catering, etc., or in the cafes, etc. And out of that, we came up with a bunch of mini ideas or mini projects, and we worked with um, the street management to look at each of those ideas and assess them against a, a range of criteria. So in the top um, left corner there, you can see some pieces of paper. We sat down and we actually marked out which ideas made the most sense we, and we created mini-briefs, if you like. And we used that as a way of prioritising the ideas and deciding which would be the first cab off the rank, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but then what we did is we looked at how we could put that together into a cohesive innovation roadmap that would last about two to three years, but with the idea that it would evolve over time as well. So it wouldn't be just the ideas that we came up with, but we wanted to leave Street with something that they could use and own and make it their own. Um, Miles mentioned before the idea that in the cafes, 
there were no screens. Um, likewise, in the street office, if you go in there, you'll see that there's, there are computers there, of course, but it's a very communal environment. It's a, very, um, it's a space where lo-fi is good. And um, one of the insights that Kate found as well was that, um, that Beck here uses um, pegboards a lot for artwork and that kind of thing. So we decided to make um, the roadmap from a pegboard. Um, so incredibly lo-fi. Um, the idea being that you could actually put each of the ideas, you could have the tags that you can see there. There's one tag for the beginning of a project or an idea, of incubating that idea, and the second tag is actually the end of it. They're held together with rubber bands, but the idea is they can be moved around and changed time-wise and et cetera based on um, streets' needs. So that was really important that we could leave them with something that they could use. Um, you can see there's a range of mini-projects that came out of all of that work that we did. So they ranged from things like providing stories as part of the catering. So people would get a box of goodies, but along with that box of goodies, they'd get some stories about the young people that have been doing it rough. Um, there were other ideas such as creating uh, a walking, a walking um, tour of where people that were trainees had slept at rough. Um, there were ideas that about doing soundscapes that Beck, I think, already had that idea. We sort of added that to the mix as well. So the idea that a young person could could work with a composer to create um, music that reflected their their experiences um, doing it tough. Um, there were opportunities. We looked at um, meters and things like that that you could put in the cafes that would help people to actually see how their individual contribution was actually being converted into training and support for young people and how that would work collectively as a community um, and, and the contribution the community would make together. So all of those things made it onto the board and so we left that with, um, with Beckham Street and then we also looked at one idea that we could actually take through further and, and incubate. And that idea was... Is the good gadget. <laughs> so um, I believe it was REA... Um, previously done some work with Street around an online impact tracker. And Street were really keen to explore this concept a little bit further. But we needed to find ways of creating a physical presence for the tracker and integrating it into uh, Street's service streams. Now, that's both cafe, that's catering, that's fundraising, um, all sorts of things that Street does. So we started prototyping. Um, we created low-fidelity uh, prototypes out of cardboard and, and um, uh, uh, you know, sticky tape, basically. We brought them into the cafes. We did some more enactments, but this time in a real environment with, uh, with customers involved. Um, and um, uh, Anthony here actually, who's a, one of our developers, actually came along uh, to, those, um, to those sessions and, and learned a bit about uh, what we were doing. And I'll hand over to, to you now. Thanks, Marlo. Um, so... Through all the sort of the research and sessions that our practitioners did, they sort of approached uh, myself and a couple of the other devs at Heath Wallace and came, came to us with this idea for, for this, this gadget, this device, um, the safe place to stare, I guess, what you were talking about before, Milo. Um, anyway, they, they floated this idea and it, it sounded really exciting. It sounded like something we wanted to get involved in. Um, but, you know, we initially looked at it and just totally underestimated how complex it would eventually become. I think one of the quotes that um, Patrick, one of our other devs, sort of said about halfway through the piece was, you know, when you first came to us with this idea, I thought you were totally nuts. Um, getting sort of um, a bunch of UI developers who mainly just code away to um, start creating physical, uh, you know, manufactured pieces of, um, of equipment might be a bad idea, but it turned out okay. <laughs> um, so we went through a series of prototypes. Um, the initial prototypes were kind of just these things made out of cardboard and glue and anything we could find in, in art shops. And, um, you know, we went and showed them to the, to the crew over at Street and, you know, it was received really well. They, they really liked it. And we thought initially, you know, just making one little prototype to prove that the concept would be okay would, would, would suffice. But, it, you know, they were so enthusiastic about it, we had to go back and create more and more prototypes and that sort of really, really backed us into a corner in, in having, to, having to now produce these things. Cool. Um, so every time we went over to the street, they'd always, you know, they'd always uh, offer up 
new ideas about how it should work and what other features they'd like for it. Um, and, you know, that really um, made us have to, to have to learn new techniques and new methods and just learn everything, basically. <laughs> um, so, you know, it started as this naive, um, iterative counter and it just turned into this multi-mode, fully-fledged um, software dev platform slash whatever, uh, physical device. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it continued. Um, one, of the, one of the good things about being involved um, with Milo at the beginning, like doing, going to the research sessions and seeing how everything worked, was um, I was able to sort of think about the physical considerations, about you know, how it would sit in the store, um, how you know, the sounds it would make, how that would engage the customer, how that would make, you know, it would be a, a good thing to stare at while you're waiting for your coffee. Um, sort, of, sort of based on these sort of decisions and, and um, early, early thoughts, um, we thought about things like how the sequence of numbers should be displayed. Rather than being sequential, they should be out of order so they were more engaging to look at. Um, you know, how adding Im imagery to them um, would sort of tie in with some of the marketing stuff that Street had. Um, and, you know, how, you know, just simple things like experimenting with materials for the little cards so they made that really nice clack sound when they fell over, you know, it made people look at it and, it, you know, it was more engaging. Um, one of the other things that sort of came in later on in the piece was uh, we did an event with Street. They had a, a, um, a fundraising event called Sleepless in September. Um, and we trialled this, um, this button-pressing uh, mechanism where um, there was sort of a donation was made every time the button was pressed and it became more engaging for people to actually interact with the device than it would be for the device to just sit there and, and tick over. So that was just one thing that was just, you know, was quite exciting about it. Um, so a lot of new skills were learned along the way. Um, Basically, we had to relearn everything. Um, it really sort of shook up the way that we work. Um, you know, being a UI dev, you sit there on a computer all day long, uh, typing away, you know, doing all your stuff inside inside the code. But with 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 all this, you had to you know learn a whole bunch of new techniques. Um, you had to learn about manufacturing, learn about robotics, about uh, 3D printing, CAD design, all these small things. Um, that sort of added up into making this device, but they were all things that you know were really worthwhile learning, and there's you know skills we've got for life now. Um, it was also like a global effort. So when we initially started building this thing, we didn't have a 3D printer or access to any CAD design software. So we sort of engaged some of our crew from Hong Kong who had access to a 3D printer, and we'd sort of send designs over to them, and then they'd send us parts back. Um, you know, overnight, and hopefully that all fit, which they did, which was great. So, you know, it all ended up quite well. And that's how we ended up with the good gadget, good which gadget. is this guy. <laughs> so um, I'll just explain a little bit about how how it works, um, and, and you can you can chime in if you'd like. So we've got these numbers here. If you push the button, the numbers the numbers change. They don't change sequentially, though. Um, it's not just one after another after another. Um, the guys actually designed, um, designed it so that it would flick around a little bit to provide a little bit more of that noise. It's a very, I don't know, I don't know about you, but it's a very um, satisfying noise. I quite like it. It feels like you're at the airport. It, and it fits quite well with the soundscape of the, the street cafes as well. So there's a definite sort of element of sound design, I think, Beck, I could probably say, um, when, you're, when you're putting... Uh, getting cafes, putting cafes up. Um, so you see, you do that. But we've also got, um, um, because there are situations where the button's not appropriate, we've also got other, um, uh, got other modes where um, the, um, the uh, good gadget can actually be fed with data. So there's a, there's a little sort of Ethernet port here you can put, you can put stuff in there and it will it will actually it will actually grab grab data and it will start displaying it you can control it remotely yeah uh, as well it all all ties into an online interface that we built yep. so it can read live information mm -hmm. so if they're using it at any of their stores um, it can be fed from data from a central location mm -hmm. um, so they can update it with you know sales information from yep. the previous week or anything like that 
yeah. um, just you know, to make it sort of more relevant. Mm -hmm. um, and you see the faces, you'll probably see them as you go through, you see the faces, the faces come out here. Well, that was nicely timed. You see the, you see the faces come out here. Now, each one of these, each one of these people uh, has, a, has a story. They've got a story, and that story is documented, and it's, um, it's, it, if it isn't already, it will be soon up, on, up online. Um, what we wanted to do is we wanted people to engage with those stories, um, and we tried. We, we trialed through our enact, en enactments and testing, um, you know, putting QR codes around the stories and doing all sorts of things. But what we realized is that the most compelling, um, the most compelling thing to link this with an online story is simple facial recognition. So people see the faces on the um, on, on the, the good gadget. They go online. They see the same face. They make a dis they make a link in their minds and read the story about that person. So, um, much better than QR codes. <laughs> um, so I think we'll go we'll go next. Um, now it's live. Beck, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. One of the interesting things that we found when we were um, doing all the customer conversations um, was that they really wanted three levels of understanding about impact. They wanted to know, if I buy one coffee right now, what does that one coffee do? Um, but if I come back and I'm a loyal customer and I keep coming back, what's the aggregation of that good that I'm doing? But the other really interesting thing that we learned in the research that we were doing was that if you are one customer and you are feeling like you've got to stop all of youth homelessness just by drinking a coffee every day, you feel really, really overwhelmed. And what you want is a, is a connection to a, a broader group of people. So you want to feel part of a community of people who give a shit in the world. And it's that kind of bigger stuff outside of just myself that starts to really, really matter. So, so what we ended up with is actually three of these different counters that can be stacked together. So one can give you your individual, um, your individual count, but also then what's, what's my little community, what's my cafe community, what's the aggregate of good that we're doing today? We found a kind of a common number, so that's how many, how many minutes, how many dollars equate to how many minutes of support that we're giving. But that very much that you're part of something that's bigger than just you, the poor little person, trying to slave away at homelessness by yourself. So for us, um, what was really interesting is getting it into the cafe and starting to see how um, customers have responded. And for us, it's just really important that they don't just go into autopilot when they're there. They, they start to realise that this coffee right here, right now, is doing good. So that ability to start to, to become part of the process and every day when you're at the point of sale, that you press the button as it is at the moment, because we don't have a, a digital interface working at the moment, but you press the button and it chocks up another four minutes straight away that you can see, but the overall number that you're getting is the number of minutes that all of, everyone coming to this cafe today is creating. Um, the other box that can sit on top of that can be all of the different sales across every single street cafe. So if that's running, you know, numbers and that's feeding in what will be longer term from, from, um, from all of the point of sales across all of our organisation, you're really, really quickly getting this large aggregated um, bunch of numbers that are making you realise actually collectively we can all make a really big difference. So it was that wanting that sense of kind of me, me the individual change maker, but I'm part of a bigger community as well. So in the cafes itself, um, now that it's live, we're getting having really interesting conversations with our customers about what the numbers mean, um, and then and then specifically how that relates to a young person as well. So the legacy. Legacy, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm kind of interested. This was just one tiny little micro-project that we were doing to start to think about how service design can help us longer term stop youth homelessness. Um, and so for me, what was really what was really interesting is what are all the things that happen after this? You know, this was our first little toe in the water to see what could happen. But just to give you a sense of where, as an organisation, we're at the moment, um, the board has just given me 10% um, of my time as essentially Street's Chief Innovation Officer as well as its CEO. Um, that's the stuff that I love. So, so to actually have the organisation kind of at the highest level saying there are so many things that we can start to discover here. Um, we've got an innovation strategy that we've 
we've been writing that's just full of ideas. We've taken all of the ideas that we uh, that we did with Heath Wallace and have put them into that strategy. So there's things that we've already started to deliver, um, but there's a whole bunch. There's a couple of years of, of projects we've now got coming out of the other end of that. Um, I'm also really interested in about social, uh, social entrepreneurship. It's the, the people that we have in our organisation and the ideas that they've got. You know, we've got, we've got chefs and baristas and bakers and people who have come to us and sought us out because the skills that they've got are helping stop youth homelessness. So how, how do we keep those people with us really, really longer term? What are the businesses that we end up creating out of this? What are the new ideas and, and those kind of micro-enterprises that might come out of um, out of our organisation rather than kind of necessarily coming externally to us. Um, we've got some products that are also underway, um, which I think will be really interesting. And and overall, I guess for me, sorry, just go one one back. Um, the other thing is the combination of what we learnt with Heath Wallace, but also some of the stuff that we learnt with Huddle as well, is kind of some of the methodologies to embed in our organisation for, for service design, thinking about this stuff and embedding it in the organisation. So every time we try and do some of this stuff, we don't have to kind of call in some experts. It's part of the way we do business. Um, we've ended up using... It's so funny because I, over time, had a, a bunch of kind of tech ways of, of doing strategy and operational planning and project planning. And we've actually just ended up going really, really lo-fi on a bunch of things out of this. Um, we've taken a bunch of documents, like our strategy document, and, you know, I've got a management team meeting every week with my team. We've just gone back to kind of good old pegboards, you know, across time, lots of projects up everywhere. Um, um, and we just, over so many years, we've tried so many different tech solutions to things we were doing that felt like that we just kind of didn't get there. We've, this, things like this have just become way more popular and have stuck. So we've got so many goddamn pegboards in the organisation for every kind of thing that you could imagine. Um, but there's because we're an organisation where often our staff, particularly all of our cafe staff, don't have access to computers all the time, often the things that we're doing um, work far better if they're, if they're physical products. Um, we started to really play with some of the ideas that came out of um, the work we did with Heath Wallace, and one of them is um, we created a map of Melbourne. Um, every year, Melbourne Central have uh, a gift wrapping station, and that gift wrapping sa station, um, you give a $2 coin donation to have your presents wrapped, and that $2 goes to street. Um, this year I said to them, rather than just getting some nice pretty paper and, and us getting all of the $2 coins, imagine if the paper itself became significant. So this year was a real experiment for us. We created a map of Melbourne CBD. Um, you won't be able to tell from here because it's too far away, but this, the map is absolutely embedded with stories of our young people. So up here um, is, is a park. Uh, if you go down into the detail, that park is, uh, has a, the name Andy on it. Andy's the first young homeless man that I ever met on the streets of Melbourne. Um, that's the park he used to sleep in. That's Flagstaff Gardens. There's also the tiny little um, possums under there because he was he had no human company and for him the possums in the park with him were really important to, to kind of have some sense of connection so this map was what got put under thousands and thousands of Christmas trees this year there were there were presents wrapped kind of everywhere with this paper and with all of those stories but on the map are also a bunch of stories um, in that are online digitally but also songs that we've um, where we've worked with music collaborators and it was really interesting for me to get a sense of can we take people from a physical map and having no connection with street at all these are people who didn't know street they were just going, going to get their presents wrapped could we take them for example from that into a digital environment and and I was watching, watching very keenly kind of come Christmas Day to see what happened. And we had a whole spike of downloads on Christmas Day of all the songs of SoundCloud as people were getting their Christmas presents, opening them up, realising that it wasn't just any paper. There were all of these stories embedded in this paper and now they were going to get that digital content. So we're just starting to really play with kind of where do physical and analogue experiences really start to cross over? How can we take people who are a long distance from the social change because we've got a bunch of you know customers in our cafes who get to eyeball the social change every day when they come in and see the young people but how far can you go to to being able to physically eyeball the social change happening in front of you but still feel drawn
drawn into the things that we're doing. So this is a, a good experiment that we've been trying. Um, I'm really interested in, in our packaging. As we get further and further away from some of our customers, so our catering customers, for example, they will never see one of the young people physically because we're delivering food to them remotely. So how does the packaging start to play a part in, in the experience? Um, this is p not our packaging, but this is Boxel. Um, really interesting food hampers designed overseas but that are really vibrant and, and are full of um, amazing goodness. Um, I'm interested in how do we build customers in com or completely new types of business? How do we build products that aren't necessarily um, you have to come in and you have to go into a cafe to get those products? Um, how do we build customers from all around the world, not just people who are in our location and are walking down a street and come to see us? Um, what do those products look like? Um, the, on the left is a, is a business that I would love to start in this next couple of years. At the moment, we send seven tonnes of ground coffee to, to landfill every year. But you can, you can grow amazing gourmet mushrooms on nothing more than coffee grounds. So imagine if when you come in to get your coffee in the future, if you've had 20 coffees with us, we say, well, now we'd really like you to take those coffee grounds back from those 20 coffees, and here's a box of mushrooms that will grow for you in the next week. Um, off the waste of your of your um, of your twenty coffees, so those new kind of products I think will start to really play with a, a, across this next couple of years. Um, so for me, I guess I start to get really excited about not just how we stop homelessness through amazing products and amazing food. But how do we start to think more generally about not just customers coming in for caffeine? How do we think about the collective number of customers coming in to be part of the social change, not just through their purchase? So I'm interested, for example, do we not think of our customers as caffeine addicts? Imagine if we thought every week 10,000 people are walking into our spaces and they're here for five minutes. What can we do with their collective five minutes? So we're not, they're not people who are coming just to transact with us. They're people who are already committed to a social cause. How would we take 10,000 lots of five minutes across a week and, that's, and turn that into amazing goodness? What are the things that we do in those five minutes that can be meaningful and start to make a really big difference? So I, I start to get really excited about all the possibilities there because what I see is more and more people wanting to make sure that the, the transactions that they're, they're creating in the marketplace are conscious ones, that, that there's an ethics to when you open up your wallet, you want to make sure that, that the money that you're spending is doing good. So I think we're just starting to, to kind of see the tip of the iceberg. Thanks. So um, lessons learned for us as, as Heath Wallace. Obviously, there were a, a few challenges for us in delivering this project. We're not used to... Um, uh, dealing with uh, the degree of ambiguity that we had at the beginning, uh, at, at the beginning of uh, the the project, we usually know what we're going to deliver when and how much money we've got to to do it. Um, we did put those parameters around the project um, at, at first, but you know, as you're you're learning new skills, working with this stuff, um, time and budgets tend to tend to start stretching a little bit. Um, so we had to manage expectations uh, internally around that, and we had to focus um, on, on different things. So we had to focus on, um, on the residual benefit, the less tangible benefits that we were getting from this project, the new skills, the um, uh, trying out new research, new research methodologies, etc. Um, and, um, and, and also for street, sometimes we had to say no. So when a project came, when a project uh, 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 came up as part of that process, that was really exciting to all of us. Even if even if it was exciting, sometimes we had to just say, actually, you know what? That's business as usual. Usual. It's not innovation, or we just can't do it. But the important thing was to make sure that um, that uh, that that idea was captured, and that someone could do it in in the future. So what's next?
Fiona. Yeah, so um, we, of course, intend to continue on our relationship with Street and um, we're very keen as well to learn through trial and error on how things like the impact tracker are working. That's really important for us too, not to just deliver and, and run. Um, we've made some improvements to our process. We have um, improved occupational health and safety standards in our office now. <laughs> Thank goodness I did not see this when it actually happened. I wasn't um, there either. I yeah. wasn't. Um, and for our innovation, internal innovation um, process, we our next idea that has, has come up this last year um, is to do with haptic or tactile feedback. So that's going to be another whole exciting chapter. Yes. And that's it. So yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you. Questions for the team. Um, the thing that's nice about physical objects, I think, is the opportunity to create a ritual. Um, I'm thinking of, like, yeah. grilled when you buy a burger and then you've, you put a bottle cap in a, in a jar. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I can see the opportunity for ritual with that. Because it, it sounds like, is it, is it part of, um, of actually buying the coffee? Can you guys speak to kind of hmm. if that created any rituals or whether there's any rituals that you might be able to create through an object like that? I'll leave this up to you. It's absolutely a ritual. Um, many other social enterprises, particularly um, particularly the ones who aren't doing the social change within their organisation. Uh, you know, Street's, Street's business model is one where the young people are embedded in the organisation and working in the cafes. So you are getting to see that social change as a customer happening in front of you. But many other social enterprises are essentially taking the profit and then, and then the money goes somewhere else to another organisation to do the social change. So their way of getting you as close as possible to that to that social change is getting you to choose where your money is going. So you might have three or four causes, you know, and you're putting your coffee bean or you're putting something in there, and it's the it's the tallying of that that um, th that determines where the money goes. So so I think there's a power in those rituals that that every day getting a choice over what you're doing and getting the tangible you know tangible outcome for that. Um, so I think. Given that you're already seeing a young person, you know, in in the flesh as you're in that cafe, the power I think starts to be not just the ritual, but then if it's four, you know, if you're buying one coffee and it's four minutes of goodness, or four minutes of of support you're giving to a young person, it's almost then the next part of that chapter is well, what ha can happen in that four minutes? You know, get, not just tell us it's about four minutes of support, but what can you do with a life in four minutes? So it's all of the other backstories, I think, that start to become mm -hmm. behind that and the, and the opportunities to engage with those, I think, get really exciting. So, so yes, there's a ritual that happens every single day. Um, you just you want to make sure that that just doesn't become habitual, that it's just, you know, it's one more thing that you do at the point of sale system and you just kind of zone out every day. So I'm interested in how do you make sure that that, that habit is meaningful um, and connecting rather than just a pain in the ass mm -hmm. when you just got one more thing that, at a yeah. transaction with a credit card and yeah. you're paying. And I mean, not everybody wants to push the button either. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too. So there has to be, there are, you know, and we have thought about other ways of, of using, uh, using the good gadget or, or a couple of them um, in the store mm -hmm. to, to cater for those different, you know, pieces. Uh, oh, yep. You guys talked about um, how your UXers and your developers worked on it together at the start, and that led to a really great outcome. Mm. What are some of the ways that you guys managed to, I don't know, sell it into the client that that was really valuable? Because from an agency or consultancy perspective, it's often really difficult to say, hey, we need another human there who usually isn't that um, yeah. part of the process that early right. on, and there's more cost and the budget start escalating, yeah. and how do you convince or edu well, educate look, clients? I would say, I guess, in this, in this case, uh, contact was quite important. So Tony's a great guy. <laughs> and all of our development, Patrick's a great, great guy. And we actually brought them along uh, from, from the beginning. So in terms of uh, meeting, meeting with the client, um, with uh, you know, engaging in activities and that sort of stuff, these guys were, were along the ride with us, and so there was a familiar, familiarity there, I think, with, what, um, with, uh, with, with their presence and what they do and how they can contribute to the, to the project. Um, 
Uh, so there was you know. a budget that was set. So mm. so it wasn't like every time someone else walked in the room, you know, I was thinking, oh, my God, are we going to, you know, mm. is that less kids that we can help in our program because we've got a bunch of, you know, UX people working with us? Mm. So yeah. so it was, it was I think, often a cost that was born within Heath Wallace within, that, the, within this project rather than street, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also sort of part of the, the innovation framework that we were that we were using it was trying to get people involved who weren't usually in a particular silo of the business to get involved in other other areas mm. of the business and that sort of gave everyone sort of a more holistic view on the entire project as opposed to sort of just chucking information over the fence or anything yeah. like that yeah it made the, it made as much as you know this was a slow process to deliver that it actually made the process happen a lot more quickly and that's something i think you could uh, it's, it's a very big plus for any any client so Thanks. Hi, uh, Rajiv from Practical Visionaries. Um, Rebecca, just wondering how um, you used, uh, how, how you involved your employees, I guess all the young people, in sort of designing solutions. Um, were there any challenges with that? How did you get around that? Yeah, we, we involved uh, some of our young people and also our staff. Um, we left it completely up to them, so it wasn't something that I had to do as part of their, their day job. Um, and in fact, many of the things that we did, like the um, workshops with customers and and stuff, was happened outside work hours. It was, you know, we had to wait till our cafes were closed and we could get access to them all and do a, a, a bunch of kind of design things within mm. the cafes. So it, it was very much um, a choice. Interestingly enough. Um, it was a staff member who, a staff member in one of our cafes, absolutely feels like that was his idea, um, and he's the one who who is now trialling it in his cafe. So he's a, he's a manager of one of our cafes, um, and for him, when I went in the other day, he just said, "Oh, I'm so glad that my idea was the one that you know that that we ended up testing." And actually, there was, you know, I, I would have said that it was kind of co-created and there's a whole bunch of ideas, but for him, it's very very much his idea. Um, and what we're talking about at the moment, so, so that same staff member loved being part of this process so much, and, and he's a bit of a, a, a techo. He's one of those guys who controls his whole cafe with his watch. You know, he's got the music, and it, you know, he just loves, yeah, he, he loves kind of um, playing with concepts and, and tech. So I think very much it, it's been the desire of the team that's made me think about social entrepreneurship more. Um, what are the things that we can start to think of and start to prototype? And, you know, one of the things that I love about a cafe environment is that you're getting 10,000 people walking in every week. You can rapidly prototype. You can so quickly find out if something's working. You know, by the end of, by the end of one day, you're going to have, you know, 1,000 people's views on something in, from, from one location. So, so that ability to really quickly get that feedback. And if you've got staff who, who want to try new things and you've also got customers who are who are really, you know, wanting to engage, you can learn a lot really quickly. So, so that rapid feedback loop is really attractive, I think, for, for our team. Um, so, there's, so there's now, I think, four more staff who are working with me on different projects that we've got, um, starting to play with it. And we've probably got... We've probably had a total of 16 young people, uh, thereabouts. So, for example, all the young people who worked on the map... Um, they were. We had eight young people collaborating with eight musicians. Uh, that process they just absolutely loved. So particularly when it comes to kind of the creative storytelling part of, of their journey, for them it, it, often it almost becomes therapeutic as well because you're talking about your journey and where you've come from but where you're going. So, so yeah, I... So, sorry, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, but certainly the uptake of, of all of that stuff has been really strong with both our young people and our staff. Thank you very much. That was terrific. Thanks, guys. <laughs>